Good morning again to you guys. It's good to see you. Beautiful time of worship this morning. It's always good to see you. It's always good to gather here with you. I hope that you've had a very blessed week. I hope that you've had a really refreshing weekend as well. I mean, as we look around the town here, we see that the fair's in town. You know, the kids are out of school now, right? The 4th of July fireworks shows just around the corner. Uh, so our summer schedules, I think, are in full swing now, right? It's summertime, no doubt about it. Not to mention, it's supposed to be near 100 degrees the next three days. So summer's definitely here, but I'm thankful that you are here as well. I'm thankful that you've made time out of your busy schedules to come and worship with us this morning. Uh, I'm thankful that you've made church a priority in your life for you and for your family as well, because you know the church is absolutely critical. The church is critical. In fact, the church might be one of the most critical things on the entire planet because the church is the means by which Christ has chosen to reach the world. And so this amazing body of believers, each one of us with, you know, unique abilities and talents and gifts, you know, when we gather together and exercise these God-given gifts, we edify one another, we fellowship together and we encourage one another and so that's the church. That's a picture of the church, at least one picture. So in reality, when I say the church, the church is you and the church is me, right? So based on that, we could say that the church needs you and you're important to the life of the church because without your gifts, without your unique abilities, then the church is handicapped. It's not going to function at full capacity without your gifts, without your talents. The church uh, needs you. And so your consistent participation in the body of Christ, which is the church, is not only going to help to fuel the church itself, but it's actually going to help you to become all that God wants you to be, in addition to the church becoming all that He wants it to be. So it'll fuel your own faith. It'll help you to grow in your own faith as well as you consistently sit under the teaching of the Word of God like we do here on Sunday mornings, and as you participate in group discussions together with other believers, just like we do on Wednesday nights, as you pray with one another, like we do on Sunday mornings and Wednesday nights as well, as we pray for our community, and as we begin to develop our gifts and our talents for the Lord by using them to serve Christ in His church, uh, we're going to become the church that Christ wants us to be. And not only that, but when a believer commits to the local church, and begins to make church a priority in their life, um, you know, they're going to become a bold witness to their family, to their friends, to those who are within their circle of influence, and to the world around them that Christ is the king of their heart. That's our witness, right? Jesus is Lord of our life. And so he's worth putting number one above everything else. Christ is king. And so that means he's worth putting above everything else that so easily distracts us in this world. Uh, so as we come to, together as a body of Christ in this community of faith, we are living out the calling of Christ on our life to be the church. And so, yes, it's always a joy when we gather together. It's always a joy to see you guys and to gather around the Word with you, especially on Sunday mornings, to worship our Lord, because we have a promise as the church that the gates of hell are not going to prevail against the church of Jesus Christ. We know that. That's a promise. And so... That's exactly where I want to be. I want to be in that place. You know, I want to be safely surrounded by a body of believers that are pursuing the cause of Christ together while being protected and strengthened and sustained by the Spirit of Christ. I mean, that's a great deal, right? To be protected, sustained, strengthened by our Lord Jesus Christ. As we all move out on faith together to reach our world for Christ, I mean... When you think about it in those terms, where else would you want to be than in the church of Jesus Christ, right? So if you have your Bibles with you this morning, we're going to go ahead and uh, try to finish up chapter 6 in the Gospel of Luke. So we're going to be looking at Luke chapter 6, verses 37 through 49, in the last part of Luke's account of Christ's Sermon on the Mount. Okay, and we left off last week with Christ giving us what we called the law of love, Okay which commanded his followers, followers to actively love their enemies. And he gave us his version, so to speak, of what's commonly known as the golden rule. You remember that? I mean, he took this old idea to a whole 
new level by commanding his followers to actually do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Rather than just simply refraining from doing evil, he commanded us to actually go and do. And there's a big difference. So the common way of understanding that rule up until the time of Christ was just to simply don't do bad things to people. Christ upped the ante, so to speak, and said, no, actively love them. Actively give them the love of Jesus. And so he says, love them actively. Actively be good to them. Go ahead and bless them on purpose, right? Not only just those you love, but your enemies as well. Because if you do that, then your reward is going to be great in heaven. And you're going to be called sons of the Most High. Man, that's quite a title. You know, and he says, the reason I want you guys to do this is because I'm kind and I'm unthankful to those who have committed evil. That's Luke chapter six, verse 35. And so then he summarizes his teaching in verse 36 by saying, therefore, be merciful just as your father also is merciful. And that sort of tied a bow on that particular portion of the teaching. Um, be merciful because you have been been given so much mercy, right? Those of us who have been the recipients of such grace and such love and such mercy from our Savior should in turn extend that grace, love, and mercy to those around us. So if you would, let's pray again quickly and then we'll get into our text this morning. We love you, Lord, and thank you again for this time together. Thank you for this beautiful Sunday morning. Thank you for the Word of God. Thank you for the eternal Word that has been settled in heaven. It's unchanging and unchangeable. And so, Lord, help us to interpret it rightly. Help us to understand it correctly and apply it correctly to our lives. And, Lord, I just pray that through the power of your Spirit, you would guide us into all truth this morning as we look into your Word, and that you would use it to change us and conform us more into the likeness of our Savior, our Lord Jesus Christ. Would you do that for us this morning, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so let's read it. Luke chapter 6, starting in verse 37, and we'll read down to the end of the chapter. Jesus speaking, he says, Judge not, and you shall not be judged. Condemn not, and you shall not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be put into your bosom. For with the same measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. Verse 39, and he spoke a parable to them. Can the blind lead the blind? Will they not both fall into the ditch? A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone who is perfectly trained will be like his teacher. And why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye and do not perceive the plank in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, brother, let me remove that speck that's in your eye when you yourself do not see the plank that's in your own eye? Hypocrite. First, remove the plank from your own eye, and then you'll see clearly to remove the speck that's in your brother's eye. Verse 43, for a good tree does not bear bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. For every tree is known by its own fruit. For men do not gather figs from thorns, nor do they gather grapes from a bramble bush. A good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good and an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart brings forth evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. Verse 46, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do the things which I say? Whoever comes to me and hears my sayings and does them, I will show you whom he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when the flood arose, the stream beat vehemently against that house and could not shake it, for it was founded on the rock. But he who heard and did nothing is like a man who built a house on the earth without a foundation, against which the stream beat vehemently, and immediately it fell. And the ruin of that house was great. All right, so Christ wraps up his teaching here with instruction on Christian character, okay? By actually warning his disciples against harsh judgment and quick condemnation and ultimately an unwillingness to forgive, okay? And then he illustrates the type of character that he expects from his followers by giving them three parables, okay? Which, by the way, if you're not familiar with what a parable is, a parable is simply a story with a spiritual meaning, okay? That's what a parable is. And Christ often used parables to drive home the meaning of his teachings, 
But he gives us the parable of the blind leading the blind. That's the first one. And then he gives us the parable of the tree and its fruit. And he ends his message by giving us the parable of the two house builders. Okay, so starting back in verse 37, we're going to go through this verse by verse. Jesus says this, Judge not, and you shall not be judged. Condemn not, and you shall not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Now, to me, this is one of the most abused verses in all of scripture okay that's just my opinion but how many of you have heard somebody even a christian okay say don't judge me don't judge me i mean the bible says do not judge anybody ever heard that yeah i mean i hear that and i think of course if we knew our bibles a little bit better right and the context in which jesus says this then i think we would understand that christ is not condemning all judgment here okay what he's condemning is a certain type of self-righteous judgment i mean in just a few verses here okay we're going to see that jesus is going to tell us that every tree is known by its fruit okay so in order for us to determine a tree by its fruit then it's necessary to have some sort of assessment or inspection or shall we say judgment right and furthermore jesus said in john chapter 7 verse 24 do not judge according to appearance but judge with righteous judgment judge with righteous judgment and paul told the corinthian church in first corinthians chapter 5 verses 12 through 13 he said for what have i to do with judging those who are outside okay meaning outside the church he says, do you not judge those who are on the inside? Assuming that, of course, we do. But those who are on the outside, God judges. Therefore, put away from yourselves the evil person. Okay, so Christians are indeed called to employ a type of judgment, righteous judgment. Okay, and then that is to mean toward other believers as a means of accountability and discipline within the church. Again, not self-righteous judgment, but righteous judgment according to to the scriptures okay so those who say things like hey don't judge me the bible says do not judge right i think they're usually either ignorant of the scriptures and i'm not saying that despairingly i'm just saying they don't understand they don't know the scriptures or maybe they're wanting to get away with something that they know they shouldn't be doing or maybe they're seeking some kind of approval or acceptance for an unbiblical choice or lifestyle that we're living and we see that all over the place in our culture today again I'm not trying to be harsh here okay please understand my heart I'm just trying to be biblical here over uh, this entire issue because I mean Christians who are lovingly confronted okay righteously judged if you will by a brother or sister in the Lord over something that they're doing that is questionable that should be welcomed by us Okay, that type of correction should be welcomed. We shouldn't be too quick to say, don't judge me. We should be saying, if I'm blowing it, call me out on that so that I can be corrected according to the scriptures, right? Because Jesus is teaching here, again, it doesn't prohibit us as believers from using judgment. It rather provides direction on how we can appropriately judge. Okay, so Christ, as he often does here, he's speaking to the heart. He's speaking to our heart. Do we judge too harshly? or inappropriately or self-righteously are we too quick to condemn that's the question here okay so the one who judges should use discernment as well as caution and i think we see a great example of this actually in the next chapter here in luke's gospel we're not probably going to get to this next week but we will eventually but remember the sinful woman who came into the house where where jesus was and she was in tears and she washed the feet of christ with a fragrant oil. You remember that story? But Peter, along with the Pharisees, okay, they judged this woman, but they judged her very unfairly. I mean, they couldn't believe that Jesus would let such a sinner touch him like that. How could he do that, right? But Jesus actually lovingly corrected Peter. He used righteous judgment by saying, look, Peter, when I came into the house, you didn't offer me any water for my feet. I mean, you didn't kiss me when I came in, Jesus told him. But this woman has washed my feet with her tears and dried them with her hair. And she hadn't stopped kissing my feet since I came in. You didn't even anoint my head with oil, but this woman has anointed my feet with oil. Fragrant oil, by the way, right? And then Jesus said, Her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. That's Luke chapter 7. 
verses 36 through 49. So can you see the heart of the teaching here from Christ? Her oil wasn't wasted because the motive of her heart was to give, was to give. And so Christ is cautioning us to use spiritual discernment and an abundance of mercy and an abundance of grace as it relates to our interactions with each other. Okay? Judge people in the way that you want to be judged. Be quicker to forgive them than you are to condemn them. And then give and then give and give some more. Look at verse 38. Give and it's going to be given to you or it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over will be put into your bosom. Okay, so back then, during the time of Christ, many would wear this sort of apron type thing that had a pocket across the chest. Okay, and I think that's likely what Jesus is referring to here, that pocket that goes across the bosom on that apron. Okay, so those who gave like this, then God would essentially fill their pocket, so to speak, with blessing after blessing. He continues, for with the same measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. And that's exactly right. Remember, the woman who gave all of her expensive oil to Christ, okay, she was forgiven of her sins. Jesus said, your faith has saved you. Now go in peace. Okay, so you see, it's not what she gave. Okay, no, it's not what she gave. It was simply the heart in which she gave it. Okay, she believed and so because of her belief, she gave all that she had, all of the expensive oil, right? Christ didn't save her because she wiped his feet with expensive oil. He saved her because she had faith. But her faith, and this is what we need to hear in relation to our story today, her faith was evidenced by her giving of that fragrant oil. That was the evidence, okay? So the measure that she was given was equal to the measure that she gave, Right? She emptied that bottle of oil, but her bosom, her pocket, right, so to speak, was filled with blessing after blessing because she was forgiven. I mean, and there's no greater blessing than to be forgiven of your sins by Jesus Christ. And so I think that's an appropriate illustration, but we've got to be careful here not to let the legalist come out in us. Okay, we don't want to let that happen. We talked about this last week. Christ is not teaching this game of equal equivalence. Okay, he's not teaching this tit-for-tat type of a reward system, nor is he teaching a works-based salvation. Okay, what he's doing is he's setting us free from the boundaries of legalism. That's what he's doing here by removing those boundaries of our giving. So in Christ, we're no longer bound to give only what we've been given, right? Because the more we give, the more we're going to receive and return. And so I think the idea here is that we see the limitless nature of a Christ-like giving. It's limitless. Okay, there is no limit to that. So let's not forget the context here. Jesus is not only talking about material things. Okay, that's not the context. He's been talking about love, doing good, blessings, prayers, grace, mercy, a proper judgment, like we've seen this morning, and forgiveness and so on. So he's been talking about heart things, hasn't he? So if our heart is to give all of these things that he's been talking about, then when we give them, we should expect to be given them, right? I like how Pastor David Guzik says it. He says, when our judgment in regard to others is wrong, it's often not because we judge according to a standard, but because we are hypocritical in the application of that standard. He's right. He continues, we ignore the standard in our own life. It's common to judge others by one standard and ourselves by another standard, being far more generous to ourselves than we are to others. Amen. We do that, don't we? And I think Christ illustrates this very perfectly for us in the following parable. Listen to this, verse 39. And he spoke a parable to them. Can the blind lead the blind? Will they not both fall into the ditch? I mean, that's funny. Isn't it? I mean, you got to laugh at that. That's a funny statement right there. I'm, I'm thinking about Peter. I bet Peter chuckled a little bit whenever Jesus said that. Two blind guys falling in a ditch. But look, he's not poking fun at blind people. Okay? Of course, he heals many blind people. What he's doing is he's using the physical reality of blindness to illustrate a spiritual truth, right? A parable. Blind leaders make terrible guides. Okay? Stevie Wonder is not going to ask Ray Charles to help him across the street. Why? Why? Because they might fall in the ditch. 
That's why you don't do that, right? And so we as believers should not ask the world around us, blind people, to give us instruction on Christian character. Verse 40, a disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone who is perfectly trained will be like his teacher. Okay, so here, Jesus tells his disciples exactly who to follow, doesn't he? Because spiritually blind leaders often will lead us into a ditch. That's the reality of it. And it could lead us into the ditch of legalism. They could lead us into the ditch of moralism. They could lead us into the ditch of antinomianism, which means against law or without law. So sort of a lawlessness. Blind leaders can lead us into any of those ditches, right? Because the blindness of sin, what it does is it often swings the pendulum of our understanding to the extreme, to one side or the other, right? In other words, spiritual blindness will lead us too far to the east or too far to the west, oftentimes, to one side or the other. So don't follow those who are spiritually blind. However, following the teachings of Christ and doing it with understanding will always give us clear direction and it will always point us true north. True north, okay? So when Christ is our compass, then we stay on the path and we stay out of the ditch. So if we want to be perfectly trained, then we need to follow the perfect teacher, right? Knowing that those who do follow Christ... We're not going to be above him, the word says, but we will be like him. That's important. Okay. In other words, we're going to bear the resemblance of Christ in our life if we follow him. And we're going to exude his character. We're going to exemplify the commands of Christ. Our conduct will reflect what we've been taught. And Christ illustrates this again with another parable, the, the story of the blind leading the blind, right? One guy's got a speck in his eye. So he's getting ready to illustrate this parable that he just talked about, about the blind leading the blind. One guy's got a speck in his eye. The other guy has a plank in his eye. And so they're both bound for the ditch, right? Just like Jesus said, unless they apply the truth of Christ's teaching to their lives and are able to avoid the fall. Look at verse 41. And why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not perceive the plank in your own eye? All right, so the speck here, the word that Luke uses, it, it, it means like a piece of chaff. Very small. It's like a twig. Okay? But the plank literally means a timber. That's what the word is. Okay? So Jesus, as he often does, he's using exaggeration here to make his point. And that's one of the reasons I think this is so funny. You got one guy with a little splinter in his eye, and the other guy's over here with a big old log sticking out of his head. I mean, that's just a funny word picture. You know? But the point is that Jesus is making here is very clear. I mean, we're typically way harder on other people than we are on ourselves, aren't we? And we're often so quick to point out flaws in other people. While at the same time, we completely overlook our own flaws. I mean, we need to understand, I'm the one with the tree sticking out of my head. That's me. Okay? I'm the one that looks like an idiot, not the other guy. Okay? You just give that guy a little water and he can wash the splinter right out of his eye. But I'm going to need a lumberjack over here to help me get this tree off of my face. You get the picture. But we tend to magnify the sins of other people while minimizing our own sins, don't we? All of us want grace. We all want mercy, but too often we don't want to extend that grace and mercy to other people. We give judgment while at the same time begging for mercy. And Jesus is simply telling us, guys, don't do that. Don't do that. Okay, so the teaching here is to evaluate yourself before you evaluate other people. Make sure that your own house is in order before you go around commenting on the housekeeping of your brother. Okay, correct that man or that woman in the mirror before you correct your brother or sister in Christ. Now remember what Jesus told these guys, okay? There's another story of a woman who was caught in adultery over in John chapter 8, verse 7. And I think it's you know, applicable here as well. In that story... This woman was caught in adultery, and the law of Moses said that she should be stoned, okay? She was caught in the very act. It was a no-brainer. She was guilty. The law of Moses said she needs to be stoned. And so these self-righteous religious types, they brought her to Jesus in the temple, and they asked him, hey, what do you have to say about that? Of course, they were testing him. But Jesus responded to them with the law of love rather than the law of Moses, Right? And he completely exposed their hypocrisy here, just like the guy with the tree in his eye. He said, he who is without sin among you, let him throw a stone at her first. Right? You know what the word says after that? 
Scripture tells us that those who heard that, those words of Jesus, they were convicted by their conscience. And they went out one by one, which means nobody threw a stone at her. Why? Well, it's because they realized that they all deserved to have rocks thrown at them, right? They realized that. You see, nobody really wants to live with the consequences of legalism, okay? But too often our stubborn and calloused hearts want to prevent us from giving people grace. And our pride prevents us from admitting our own sin. But the calling of Jesus Christ on the life of every single believer is to be merciful just as your Father is merciful also. That's what he said. I mean, think about this. When the Lord went to Nathan and told him to go to David, you remember this story is another parable that he told Nathan to give to David in 2 Samuel chapter 12. Nathan goes to David and he tells him about a rich man who stole a lamb from a poor guy and he gave it to this traveler that was passing by okay and as Nathan explained this parable this story to David David became infuriated I mean he got ticked all right because this rich man showed no pity and it really frustrated David David was ready to kill this guy immediately right until Nathan said to David you are the man you are the man I'm talking about you see David was staring at the speck before removing the plank and sometimes the plank in our eye creates a blind spot in our lives that only other people can see so God used Nathan to point out the sin of hypocrisy in David's life but too many of us want to act like Nathan while living like David that's unfortunate we love to point out specks while peering over our own plank Right? But in doing so, we've actually skipped a step, haven't we? Yeah, we need to pull the plank out first, right? Don't be too quick to judge people, but on the same hand, don't despise the righteous judgment that Christ commands us to use. Verse 42, Or how can you say to your brother, Brother, let me remove that speck that's in your eye, when you yourself do not see the plank that's in your own eye. Hypocrite! First, remove the plank from your own eye, and then you'll see clearly to remove the speck that's in your brother's eye. Now, I like what Warren Wearsby said here. He said the emphasis here on what Jesus just said is on being honest with ourselves and not becoming hypocrites. And I think that's exactly right. You see, the plank eye is the person who is hypercritical of other people, okay, while overlooking the sin in their own life. By definition, a hypocrite is someone who says one thing and does another, okay? That's a hypocrite. But when we first address the sin in our own life, then our efforts to help remove our brother's sin will now be genuine. Okay, there won't be any ulterior motives. It'll actually be genuine. But when we try to remove the sin from our brother without first dealing with our own sin, then what we're doing is hurting the cause of Christ because we're being disingenuous. Okay, we're being hypocritical. But I think it's important for us to understand that, you know, guys, Christ is not calling us to be something we're not. Okay, meaning he's not calling us to be some sort of sinless super-Christian. Okay? However, if we do claim to follow Christ, then he is calling us to be authentically Christian. All right? And authentic Christians, what they do is they admit their sin, and they confess that sin before God. Authentic Christians are humble, and they're genuine, and they're gracious, and they're merciful toward their brothers and sisters in Christ in an effort to try and help one another grow closer to Christ in our walk with him. That's authentic Christianity. Verse 43. For a good tree does not bear bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. And that's absolutely right. I mean, so Christ uses the parable of a fruit tree to illustrate his point regarding authentic Christians. Verse 44. For every tree is known by its own fruit. For men do not gather figs from thorns, nor do they gather grapes from a bramble bush. Okay, so a bramble bush is a thorn bush. That's what that is. So the truth is, my fruit is going to bear me out, isn't it, eventually? I mean, I can't fake it forever, right? I might be able to cover up my sin while pointing out the sins of my brothers and sisters for a time. I might be able to get away with that for a while. But the truth of who I am is eventually going to come out. I mean, it is what it is. No amount of faking it is going to change that fact, okay? The fruit of the tree reveals the character of the tree. It reveals what kind it is, doesn't it? So if the judgment 
or the correction that I bring toward my brother feels more like a prick from a thorn bush than the sweetness of a grape, then I might need to inspect the fruit in my own basket. Verse 45. A good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good, and an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart brings forth evil. For out of the abundance of the heart his mouth speaks. So the fruit reveals the tree just like the heart reveals the man. Okay? Jesus is saying that our hearts reveal our spiritual standing before God. How so? Well, because that's where our treasure is. That's where our treasure is, right? Jesus compares our heart to a treasury. Did you see that? The very place that holds our treasure. Man. So the implication here is the same as the speck and the plank. It's the same as the good fruit and the bad fruit. Okay, if I call out sin in the life of my brother without first dealing with my own sin, then I'm a plank eye. That's just the truth of it. Okay, and if I talk about being a good tree while I only bear bad fruit, then I'm really just trying to gather grapes from a thorn bush, and that makes me a hypocrite. Because the treasure that I hold in my heart will eventually come up from the treasury and out through my lips. Jesus said, for out of the abundance of my heart, my mouth will speak. So who I really am is going to be revealed by two things. One, by my words, okay, because I speak from the abundance of my heart. And Jesus said in Luke chapter 12, verse 20, or I'm sorry, 34, Luke 12, 34, that where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So my words are directly going to reflect the treasure that's in my heart, but also so to my actions as well. Okay, that's the second thing. Look at verse 46. But why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do the things which I say? So only giving Christ lip service is going to be proof that he is not actually the treasure that's in my heart. Okay, that will prove that. Words mean things, okay? Just as Jesus said the previous verses, he said, but if my obedience to Christ doesn't line up with my profession of Christ, then my words obviously mean something different, okay? It means that the abundance of my heart is filled with worldly treasure. See, it's proving things out, isn't it? It's proving what's in my heart, actually. So just as the crippled man, you remember him, he walked out after being healed, carrying his bed. That was proof that Christ had forgiven him of his, of his sins. We talked about that in Luke chapter 5. So my obedience to Christ is proof that I belong to Christ. All right, so if I'm still doing things my way and I've not actually begun to do things Christ's way, then I am the Lord of my life, not Christ. Okay? The treasure in my heart is me. Think about that. However, if the treasure in my heart is truly Christ, then his lordship is going to be evident in my behavior as well. Okay? As I make an effort to do what he says, to obey what he teaches me, while my mouth speaks of the abundance of Christ in my life. You see, the hypocrite, they go around looking for splinters. I mean, they look for these little flaws that they can point out in other people that's only going to make them feel good about themselves, okay? But authentic Christians, we go around looking for beams. We look for bad fruit in our own life so as to begin building up an abundance of good treasure in our heart that we can turn around and give out in the same measure that we hope to be given back from our Lord, okay? It's humble. Authentic Christianity is humble. It's beautiful, right? Jesus said, for with the same measure that you use, it will be give, given back to you or measured back to you. So again, there's no limit to what we can give. He's removed those boundaries, okay? Because there is no limit to what he has given us in the salvation that we have in Christ Jesus. Guys, you cannot put a limit on the grace that we've been given in Christ Jesus our Lord. You cannot limit that. His grace is limitless. His love is limitless. The love and mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ is limitless. Look, the blood of his cross, it stretches across all of history from one end to the other, calling every man, woman, boy, and girl to come and receive his forgiveness. And I can promise you that his love for you is not bound up in a ledger book. Okay? It's not. It's not dependent upon a list of do's and don'ts. Not at all. Christ's love for you is limitless, and he proved it to you at his cross. It's done. 
The love that Jesus Christ has for you was proven at his cross. By his sacrifice, he has shown you how much he loves you. And because he's given you so much, he has given you eternal life and the forgiveness of sins and so on. Because we have been given so much, we in turn have so much that we can give. So don't put a limit on how much you love your neighbor. Don't put a limit on how much you love your enemies. Don't put a limit on how much grace you extend to your brother or your sister in Christ. Look, Christians should never judge too harshly or condemn too quickly or forgive too little. Okay, but the measure we are to use in Christ, it does require wisdom. And one of the reasons it requires wisdom is because it gives us balance and it prevents our flesh from tipping those scales too far to legalism or too far to moralism, etc., etc., right? In one direction or the other. And so at the end of his message here, Jesus, he shows us the better way. Now he's going to tell us the better way. He gives his disciples two instructions on how to build a house. One of them is the right way. And so he ends his sermon by giving us the parable of the two house builders. One guy builds a house with a foundation and he lays it on the rock. The other guy builds a house without a foundation at all. Look at verses 47 and 48. Whoever comes to me and hears my sayings and does them, I will show you whom he is like. He's like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when the flood arose... The stream beat vehemently against that house and could not shake it, for it was founded on the rock. And so Christ Jesus, he begins his parable of the houses here by giving three specific instructions. Okay, and this is for anybody who wishes to become a good house builder, by the way. And of course, if you talk to a good house builder, they're going to tell you that in order to have a good house, you've got to start with a good foundation, right? You must have a good foundation. And this is actually one of the first lessons that we learned together in our men's Bible study that we've been having here on Saturday mornings. In week one, we talked about the importance of a good foundation in our life and all that that means in relation to the rest of our lives. You know, I mean, without a good foundation, there are just innumerable things that can go wrong in your life. You've got to start there. But if you think about it, here's one way to illustrate a foundation, right? When you bring somebody over to your house, you almost never get complimented on your foundation, do you? Right? Nobody comes over and says, hey man, nice foundation. You never hear that. I've never heard anybody say that. You know, the men don't gather around in the front yard talking about the foundation of the house. Now they're back on the grill. They're talking about the man cave. They're talking about the garage. You know, the backyard guy stuff. Nobody cares how pretty your foundation is. But that's the point. That's the point. Foundations weren't meant to be pretty. They weren't meant to be cool. Foundations were meant to be solid. They were meant to be strong. Foundations were meant to be stable. Foundations, according to the word we just read, were meant to be dug deep. Right? Just like Jesus said, and laid on the rock. Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 11, For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. So you see, a good house builder, he digs down deep and he lays his foundation on the bedrock that's already there. right? Knowing that the rock is Jesus Christ and he's not moving. He's not moving. Okay, But there is some work to be done, isn't there? In order to get there, you have to dig deep. We have to dig deep. Guys, Christianity is not some sort of superficial pie-in-the-sky religion. Not at all. It is a deep and foundational re relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, and that's why he gave us three specific instructions here for everybody who's ready to get serious about building their house the right way. He said, whoever comes to me and hears my sayings and does them. Okay, so whoever comes, hears, and does. That's the three steps to becoming a good home builder right there. As G. Campbell Morgan said, when we come, what we're doing is surrendering. Okay? When we hear, that means we are being discipled by the words that we hear and by other believers around us. And when we do, of course, that just means to obey what Christ has taught us to do. And so you could also say this, that once we have come to Christ for salvation... And we actually begin to take his word to heart. In other words, we begin to dig deep into 
that relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, and we pour the foundation of our new life on the rock of Jesus Christ, then what we've essentially done is we've invested in the best flood insurance that there is on the planet, right? Because we will have storms come in our life. They're coming. If you're not in a storm today, you will be later. That's the truth of it. We're either headed into a storm, we're in one now, or we're headed into one later. Right? That's just the way that, that life is. Storms are inevitable, but we will not be shaken if we put our foundation on Christ. Verse 49, But he who heard and did nothing is like a man who built a house on the earth without a foundation, against which the stream beat vehemently, and immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was great. All right, so the houses were seemingly the same, right? I mean, except for the foundation. I mean, they looked good on the outside. But only one was sturdy enough to withstand the storm. And see, guys, that's the difference between hearing and doing and hearing and doing nothing. That's the difference, right? The first house builder, he came to Christ. He heard what he said. He responded in faith. But the second builder heard the words of Christ and did nothing. He did nothing. So how are we going to respond to the call of Christ? How will we respond to what he's telling us to do? To come, come to him, hear him, and obey. Those who come to Christ and hear his words and respond in faith have surrendered their life to the lordship of Jesus Christ. Okay? And that's going to be evidenced by how they respond to what they've heard from Christ. They actually do something very specific. They dig deep. They dig deep. They don't hear and do nothing. They start digging. I think Paul in 1 Corinthians 3, verses 9 through 15, expands on this truth for us a little bit. And I think it helps us understand really the heart of Christ's teaching here. But it also helps us understand the truth that look, Jesus is not referring to our eternal standing before God here. Okay? When he speaks about judgment and condemnation, forgiveness, the measure in which, you know, it's going to be measured back to us and all of that. No, it's not about our eternal standing before God. What he's talking about is the rewards that we're either going to receive or not receive based on the type of house that we build on the foundation of Christ. Okay, so those who hear Christ and do nothing essentially have no foundation at all. All right. No foundation at all. At least that's built on the rock of Christ, okay? And the ruin of that house is going to be great, Christ said. However, those who have come to Christ, they have heard his word, and they've started digging, right? They've obeyed him by faith, have in effect laid their foundation on the rock of Jesus Christ that will never be shaken. But the type of structure that they choose to build on that foundation, it's either going to reward, uh, result in rewards or it's going to result in losses at the judgment seat of Christ. Okay, now remember, Jesus is teaching his disciples here. He's teaching those who have already followed him, all right? So now what he's doing is he's teaching them how to walk by faith. He's not teaching them how to be saved. And the example that Paul gives us is this, and you can read it if you would like to later on in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, as I've mentioned. But Paul said that we can either build on the foundation of Christ in two ways. The first way we can build is with gold, with silver, or with precious stones. Okay? The other way we can choose to build on this is with wood, hay, or straw. Again, this is 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Paul writes and he says, Each one's work will become clear, for the day will declare it. That's a capital D. That's judgment day for believers. Okay, this is the judgment seat of Christ that every believer is going to stand before and be judged for our works. What kind of house did we build on the foundation of Christ? What materials did we use? Paul says it's going to be re revealed by fire. And the fire is going to test each one's works as of what sort it is. If anyone's work which he has built on it endures, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned, he's going to suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet as though through fire. Think about that. What happens to those building materials when they pass through fire? Gold would be refined. Wood, hay, and straw would burn up, right? But he himself will be saved, yet as though, as though through fire. So 
As a Christian, you need to understand you are secure in Christ as it relates to your salvation in Christ, but we're going to be judged. We're going to be judged for the work that we've done for Christ, okay? Not for our salvation, but for our obedience to Christ once we have been saved. All right, so let's compare the teachings here from Jesus and from Paul. What's the gold, the silver, and the precious stone? What is that? What's the wood? What's the hay and the straw? What does all of those things represent? That's what Jesus said. Well, let's compare what Paul said. Now let's look at what Jesus said. Could showing mercy and grace to our brothers and sisters along with our enemies, showing them love, doing them good, rather than judging them too harshly, rather than condemning them too quickly, could that be the gold? Could giving in abundance and dealing with my own sin instead of only giving what I get, right, and pointing out the flaws of other people, could that be the silver? Could bringing forth good fruit from the treasure of my heart possibly be the precious stones? And could my failure to walk in obedience to Christ and behave the way that He has commanded me to behave be the wood? the hay, and the straw. I'll let you decide that. I think so. Okay? I think that's the teaching here. But each one of us are going to have to decide what kind of house we're going to build. Each one of us are going to have to decide what materials am I going to use to build this new life I have in Christ. And most importantly, am I going to lay the foundation of my life on the rock of Jesus Christ? Am I going to dig deep? Or am I going to hear and do nothing? When I hear the words of Christ and do something, when I do the right thing, then I'm going to build a good house. I'm going to build the house that Christ has for me to build. However, however if I hear Him and I reject that and I decide to build the house the way I want to build it, then I'm going to get the house that you see here in this parable, one that will not stand up in the storm. It's going to crumble. <coughs> but he leaves that decision up to us, doesn't he? He leaves that up to us. So will my life for Christ result in a pile of ashes on judgment day as I pass through the fire? As I stand before Christ and go through the judgment seat of Christ, Will what I have to offer and lay at the feet of Jesus result in a pile of ashes or maybe some precious stones? Maybe a little gold or silver. Something to think about. Because I can tell you this. If Christ is not Lord of all in your life, then he's not Lord at all. Christ must be Lord of all. And so... Believer, Christ has given us a blueprint for our life. He's given that to us. And he's commanded us to go and build our house the right way. And I guess I would just sum it up by saying, if Christ truly is the greatest treasure of my heart, if he is the treasure that's there, if Christ is the abundance that is in my heart, Right? then good things are going to be brought forth out of the abundance of my heart. And I'm going to get my shovel, and I'm going to start digging deep into the foundational things of the faith, into the deep things of Scripture. And I'm going to figure out a way to start building with gold, silver, and precious stone. And I'm going to put that on the rock, the immovable foundation of Jesus Christ, so that I can be confident that when the next storm comes, in my life, I don't have a thing to worry about. It will not be shaken. That's a promise you have, believer, from the Word of God. We love you, Lord, and thank you for this time this morning to gather around your scriptures, to gather around the truth of your Word. Lord, I pray that it's an encouragement. It's so often a challenge, and it so often convicts, but that's good. That is a good thing, and we are grateful, Lord for that we're so grateful that you've not left us on our own in this world that you do convict us of our sin 
and that you comfort us with your spirit. You challenge us with your word. And Lord, we've seen a great deal from your word today in regard to Christian character and how we're to behave and how we're to be, you know, believers who dig deep into the things of Christ. So Lord, would you forgive us for the many times we've just put our shovel back in the shed and stopped digging and and, and started coasting through life. I pray, Lord, that you would encourage all of us to, to get our shovel back out and start digging and start building the kind of life in Christ that you intend for us to have. One that won't be shaken in the storms of life. One that will never be threatened by a flood because it's built on the rock of Jesus Christ that's immovable, unshakable for all of eternity. Help us to build like that. That's the kind of house we want to build, not for our own glory, but to the glory of Christ, who is the greatest treasure in our heart. That's my prayer, Lord, that we would be that kind of house builder. But maybe there are some that are listening to this message who look into the treasure of their heart and they don't find Christ there. My prayer for them this morning is that they would turn from their sin, that they would repent. That word just means to turn away. So in their heart, I pray that they would turn from their sin and turn to the Lord Jesus Christ alone by faith, believing that he is the Son of God who died on the cross for their sin and who rose from the grave on the third day so that if they would believe they could have eternal life in him. I pray that they would do that in the quietness of their own heart, that they would ask you to come and be Lord of their life, to be that treasure, that abundance of their heart. So Lord, please have your way. By the power of your spirit, speak to us. Teach us. Draw us close. We want to know you more. We want to live in a way that pleases you, Lord. We understand that there's going to be rewards for that. But that's not our motive. We want to live this way because we love you. We want to love this way because you have loved us. We want to be grace givers because you've given us so much grace, so much mercy. Who are we to withhold that from anyone? Help us to get our heart right to be moldable again, to be teachable again, and to be unshaken disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. And help us to do it for your glory. And we ask it in Jesus' holy name. Amen.